0: glad you're gathered here today. I'm so glad we get to gather and, and open up the Word of God, open up our mouths and sing the praises of God, even, even open up our ears and hear this opportunity to, to serve in youth ministry. I am thinking about when I was a youth pastor, and some of my, my favorite volunteer youth leaders, they were not the typical youth guy. They weren't young and, and talking really fast like Stephen. They were, they, were, uh, they were the ones who could sit And listen and talk and care. And so uh, before we even jump in here, I just want to put that out to you. To consider, maybe even pray about being part of what God's doing in the youth ministry. Now that said, as you remain standing, let's open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We set the groundwork for this last week when we looked at Acts chapter 17. Today we're going to jump right into chapter 1. We're actually going to look at all 10 verses. But to start, I'm just going to read for you verses 1 through 3. Listen now as we read God's word. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly remembering you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. In our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stop there and have a seat. Those three words, your work of faith, those three phrases, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. That's what we're going to uh, unravel today. But, but to unravel it, I want to start by telling you about an unexpected adventure I got to take part in uh, a little over a week, two weeks ago now, two weeks ago this coming Monday. Uh, about a month ago, I had a friend send me a random text. He said, Hey, I don't know if you're even available at all. I I'm just throwing it out there, no pressure. But he says, I'm going to go and climb Mount St. Helens in about a week and a half, and, and I want you to go with me. And I kind of said, Oh, whoa. <laughs> I, I'll be honest, wasn't on my bucket list wasn't something I was like, I got it. I mean, there's, there's folks that I know that's on their bucket list. It's like they've got to do it. I've got enough things going on in life, ministry, family, baseball, softball, all this stuff, it was not even in my realm of thought. But, but I, I looked at my calendar. I said, I, I, could, I, I could clear my calendar that day. I chatted with Jess, and she was like, uh, go for it, right? And so, uh, so I texted him back. I said, okay, I'm in. <laughs> condemning words, by the way, in case you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So I didn't have any gear. So I was like, what do I need? He sends me a long list. I get on Amazon, I'm ordering gear, and he borrows some, some of the, the crampons, which are basically, they're not like the, the like little spikes for the bottom of your shoes on the ice. They're like the giant, gnarly, look-like, fang spikes for your shoes. And I get some, some um, trekking poles, and he lends me a, a, an ice pick, and, and we meet... 3.45 a.m. on a Monday morning. <laughs> we meet at his house. We drive out to the, the base of the mountain, to Marble Mountain Camp, and we set out on this hike. And, uh, and I learned so much that day, right? I learned, I learned how valuable it is to have a guide because I can't tell you how many people we met that were like, hey, which way to go now? And, or where do we go? Or how do we get back down? I learned the value of having a guide, but I'll tell you what, I learned the most in those last thousand feet. When it is nothing but snow, and you're hiking in a cloud, and you can't see much, and and all you can feel is the pain in your legs, and your heart, and your lungs rebelling against you and whispering this this little phrase over and over again, turn around, go back, turn around, go back, and as we're climbing up there, that last thousand feet, the only thing I really saw, the only thing I really saw were the tracks right there. In front of me. I mean, if, if I was up there alone, <laughs> they probably would have had to send search rescue to come get me, right? If I was up there alone with, as the cloud rolled in, early on there was no cloud, but as the cloud rolled in and you couldn't see very far, I would have been in major trouble. But because I had these tracks in front of me, I kept going. And I remember hearing uh, people at the top say, hey, you're almost here. You're almost to the top. And I remember getting to the top. And the well, first thing I did is I, I'll tell you the first thing I did when I get to the end of the message. But I remember laying down up there, <laughs> flat on my back, and my buddy making a cup of coffee. Yes, I got to have a cup of coffee at the summit of Mount St. Helens. And I looked over at him. I said, I am so Thankful. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that you know the path. I'm so thankful you lent me the gear. I'm thankful for the invitation. I was so thankful. And, and here's, here's why I tell you that story. Because that's exactly what we're going to see as we open up God's word and we look at the first chapter of Thessalonians. What we're going to see right here, we're going to see that a church on track, a church on track, is the, it produces tremendous thankfulness we're going to look at our church we're going to look at valley and as we do i want us to not just see the Thessalonian church and i want us to not just consider our church as valley but i also want you to consider how a life on track how your life if it's on track it produces the same thing it produces tremendous thankfulness You see, when we talk about a church on track, what we're talking about is is the idea of those who are in Christ, who gather together for the glory of God, to grow together, and ultimately to go out on the mission of Christ. When we're talking about a church, we're talking about individuals who are gathered together in Christ. Tonight, the church is gathering Tonight, many in this room are in Christ. Tonight, we are here together for the first thing. First thing is is to praise God. We just sang that song, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You realize that's why we gather because God's name should be praised. But we don't just gather for that reason. We also gather so that we can open up the word of God and we can grow together. We can, we can open it and we can read it and we can look at it together and we can say, now we're going to grow, but, but then we leave here on mission with a purpose. I want to connect all those together, not just as a church, but individually. And so to do that, I want us to look at the, these two verses as the, the map for tonight. Verse 2 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul with his two missionary friends, listen to these words. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. He's got people in his mind as he's writing about his prayer. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And then he says this, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Here's why. Remembering before our God and Father three things, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what caused Paul to give tremendous thanks. This is what your life, if it's on track, will will, will look like. You will have a work of faith. You will have a labor of love, and you will have a steadfastness of hope. And listen, if all of us have that together, it causes the world around us to give tremendous thanks. That's what we're going to look at tonight. And so let me just start by asking you, who, who is thankful for your faith? You ever thought about that before? Who is thankful for the faith that you have in Christ Jesus? Who are the people that you are making an impact in their life because of the impact Christ has made in your life? Does your life have an impact? And and really. According to this passage, is your life on track? So with that said, why don't you open up your Bible if you haven't already? We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you want to grab one of the Bibles under your seat or on a table, it's going to be on page 986. And I'm going to, today I'm going to ask you three big questions, and then we're going to unravel those questions together. And so here's the first question. The first question is, who is thankful for your work of faith? Who is is thankful for your work of faith? Look at verses four through six. Four through six actually describe the kind of work of faith that Paul is thankful for when he thinks about the church in Thessalonica. Four through six, these verses, they describe the kind of work of faith that I think should be demonstrated in every person who calls on Christ as their Savior. Check it out. Look with me. Verses 4-6. through six. <clears throat> Paul continues. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because, of our, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, if this passage describes your work of faith, let's, let's go back up to, to the very top, verse four. And let's just, let's just examine it kind of almost line by line. I want you to see that you can open up your Bible and you can see this in the text yourself. Look at where it begins. It begins with this idea that your work of faith, it doesn't begin with you. Your work of faith begins with God. Look at verse 4. It says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. This says two things about God in, in God's initiation of, his wor- of the work of faith in your life, it says two things. It says, first of all, that you are loved by God. I think two weeks ago, we, we sang a song. It just it was simple, simple. It was a, how he loves us. Well, let's just stop for, for a moment. Do, do you know, not, not just mentally, do you know with the entirety of your being that, that you are loved by God? I mean, We, we, we kind of get strange ideas of love in our mind that govern the way we think about love. Usually the first thing we think about is romantic love. Like, oh, let's stare deeply into each other's eyes and whisper sweet nothings to one another. right? As if the night would never end. That's not this kind of love. This kind of love is the kind of love where God makes a commitment to love you because of his character and his decision to love you. And so it's the kind of love that is unbreakable. That's the kind of love God has for you. God didn't love these, Thessalon- these people in Thessalonica because they were outstanding citizens. God doesn't love you because you've done just a great job being better than your neighbor or better than your coworker. God loves you simply because he has chosen to love you. Actually, the next word, it says that not only are you loved by God, but, but that God chose you. He, he, he picked you out. He said, he said, this one is one that I am going to bring to me. Now, this is a, a doctrine that sometimes we get all tangled up over. And, and we get our, our feet tangled and we get our head tangled. What does it mean for God to choose us? He, he, here's, let me just give you a very simple understanding. I believe that if you're here listening to the message of the word of God and, and your heart is open to this message, I believe God is choosing you. You might be here and you might say, I haven't been to church in years. You might be tuning in online and you might be so far from God, so deep into a pit of of shame and sin or whatever it is. I want you to understand it's not by accident that you're listening, not to Mike's words, but to God's words. And you're hearing this moment that your work of faith doesn't begin with you being a good person, doesn't begin with you trying harder or doing better. Your work of faith, it begins with God loving you and choosing you. I mean, this is what the text says. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to play games. Verse four, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that that he has chosen you. This is where your work of faith begins. It begins with God's love for you. And then this passage continues and it describes even more of your work of faith. It actually describes your work of faith as a right response. It's not you taking the initi- initiation. It's you responding to the fact that God loves you and that God chose you. Look at look at some of this response. It says First of all, the the church in Thessalonica, they responded to God's word. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word. Now let's time out. He's going to describe how else the gospel came. But let's not get past this because the gospel came to them not only in word. Do you remember last week when Paul, we read in Acts 17, Paul went to Thessalonica, he found the synagogue of the Jews, and for three Sabbaths, he sat there and he did what? He reasoned with them, he proved to them, he explained to them, remember the line, according to the scriptures. The scriptures last week we said this was Paul's way of sharing the faith. First of all, he would persuade from the scriptures. He would, second of all, prove people had need for a Messiah, for a Savior. And then third, he would proclaim Christ as that Savior and that Messiah. This is how, God, this is how Paul went about sharing the faith. And you notice this means that the word of God came to the people in Thessalonica. They were open to the word. And so they responded They responded to the word. This is our our response. But it's not only to the word. He says says that our gospel came to you, the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death and resurrection. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but, but it continues. It describes God's power and God's Holy Spirit, which means secondly, you respond to God's word and you respond by God's power and by God's Holy Spirit. This is the idea of, of God's power and God's Holy Spirit. They worked powerfully in the hearts of those who were willing to listen to the word. And so the, the, those who were listening to the word, they were persuaded in their mind about the implications regarding Christ. In fact, biblically speaking, you can only respond correctly to God's word by God's spirit. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Here's the, the understanding here. There is a spiritual realm in everyone in this world without the Spirit's work in their life coming in and removing the blinders, spiritually speaking, from their eyes. No one is able to, yes, they can say these words, but no one can actually believe these words, Jesus is Lord, except for by the Spirit of God. And this, this has some implications for us in this room. This means if you're sitting here and you are not in Christ, and maybe, you, maybe your heart posture is, I, I know everyone here, everyone's just on the edge of their seat listening to me right now, but, but maybe your heart posture is one like this. I don't really care about this i'm just here because of x y or z for whatever reason this means if your heart posture is one like this this means god's spirit has yet to take those blinders off your eyes this is not to say in a condemning or a mean-spirited way this is actually me inviting you would you be willing even just in the quietness of your mind to pray god if you're real take these blinders off my eyes God, God, if what this guy up here is saying is true, if what he's reading out of the, the, your word is true, I, I don't believe in you. I don't think I need a Savior. I don't think I need a Christ. But if, if there's any chance what he's saying is real, God, would you take the blinders off my eyes? See, this is what happened to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Remember, there were Jewish people, and then there were, there were Gentile people, and then there were leading women. It was men, women, Jew, Greek, it didn't matter. Everyone who, it didn't matter what their external looked like, but the moment God's Spirit removed the blinders from their eyes, you know what they said? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This, this is how they responded, and this is what your response needs to look like. Your response is to respond to God's word, respond by God's power, and by God's spirit. And then third of all, you respond with, here's the word I want to give you, respond with assurance. Assurance. The text here says full conviction. It says, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction this this full conviction is the idea of of being assured now, now there's debate on what kind of assurance was given here some think that the, those who were listening to the gospel preached and believed they were assured of the truth of the gospel claims they just heard this is the idea that they listened And as they listen and God's spirit convicted them of their sin and their need for Christ, and as they put their eyes on Jesus, they have this this internal assurance. Yes, I have conviction. This is true. Others think the assurance was actually for the missionaries. Others think that Paul and and Silas, as they were preaching the gospel, as they were proclaiming Christ, as they were opening up the scriptures and saying, this is your need, you need Jesus. As Paul and Silas watched people respond, Paul and Silas were experiencing the assurance that these people were genuinely believing in the gospel. Which one is it? Uh, I'd like to consider that it's both. I mean, because because if, if you are looking at the claims of Christ and you are realizing that these are earth-shattering claims, Jesus died and paid the price for your sins, was buried, and he was resurrected to give you new life, you have, if you believe that, that, that hits you like a ton of bricks in the best way possible. And if I'm watching you believe that, I'm dancing with joy. And assurance. This is the kind of response that we have. We have a response that begins with God, and it's us responding to the work of God. <clears throat> and, and so our work of faith, it continues. And what we see in the text, it means that our work of faith is to become disciples. Our, our work of faith is becoming a disciple. Look at verse 6. <laughs> it says, And you, church in Thessalonica, you, people who listened to us preach the gospel, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. They began to imitate the kind of life they saw in Paul and Silas, and they became imitators not just of men, but of Christ, of the Savior. He says, for you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the holy spirit you see imitation it's it's the beginning stages of discipleship can I, can i show you a picture that's happening in front of our very eyes I, I don't mean to embarrass anyone, but you, you, you know Andrew over here in his uh, working out with these young guys and teaching them things and, and, and kind of hanging out with them. And you, you, Andrew, what the, he, he wears these rogue t-shirts. Well, you now you see there's a few guys that walk around doing what? <laughs> Wearing rogue t-shirts. And you know, see how Andrew wears his hat? If you see him during the middle of the week, Andrew wears a hat and it's usually backwards and, and he has a certain kind of shoes that he loves. And, and you see these young guys that are following around like like a, a mama with her ducklings. <laughs> right? And, and how do they wear their hat? And what shoes do they want? Same as Andrew. And, and what, what rogue shirt do they have? The, the same as that. Why? Because they're imitating him but what they don't maybe understand fully is they are being discipled by him and thank god it's for something so much more than just gym and fitness because andrew's discipling them using gym and fitness to show them the lord this is how the the thessalonians responded their work of faith was a work of becoming disciples Becoming followers of Jesus. And notice they did this. It says they did this with much affliction and joy. They they did this with affliction and joy. If you were to look at Acts 17, we looked at it last week together. If you were to take one guy, take Jason. Jason is the homeowner that when everyone was upset at Paul and Silas, they went and they kicked his door in and they drug him out into the middle of the mob Talk about affliction. And Paul writes these words saying, you became imitators of us and of the Lord in affliction and in joy. See, the affliction was small compared to the joy because the joy they had was now in Christ, which means no matter what they experienced here on earth, they were able to cling to Christ. This is the work of faith. This is the work of faith that Paul says... I give thanks to God always for every one of you, constantly mentioning you in my prayers because of your work of faith. Let me ask you, who is thankful for your work of faith? Who is thankful for you in your response to the gospel? Who is thankful for you in the way you are becoming a disciple, maybe of someone in this church, but more importantly, the way you are becoming an imitator of Christ? This is the, this is the first aspect of gratitude that we see in this passage. But, but let's keep going. Paul, Paul isn't just thankful for their work of faith. Secondly, he is thankful for their labor of love. Who's thankful for your labor of love? Let's actually look at, at what Paul describes as the labor of love, verses seven through nine. <clears throat> he says, so that you became an example. Remember, they became, they became um, imitators of Paul and Silas and of the Lord because they received the gospel in much affliction and joy. He says, so that you became an example of, Circle that word example in your Bible if you want to. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You see, this labor of love, the way they began to live, it it began to be seen in the surrounding area. Because they had become imitators of the Lord, they became lovers of the things the Lord loved, and the, 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 the surrounding regions, listen, they couldn't help but notice that these people were now different. They couldn't help but, but be impacted in a positive way. What you have here is, is very simply, it's those who became disciples having an impact on others, or I like to put it this way, disciples make disciples. When you come to faith in Jesus, when you trust in him, it does not mean that all of a sudden you and Jesus are are close and it's only about you and him doing your little thing in your corner of the world. You hear the words here? It says that the gospel, the, the word of God, it sounded forth from those in Thessalonica. This is the idea that it was, I mean, for for modern day, we had a giant speaker and all the amps and all of the the bass and it just, it sounds forth into the entire community as far as possible. This is what the word of God did through the Thessalonians. Because God's God's word and because the gospel impacted them so much, they began to have an impact and everyone around him on everyone around him this is sometimes we get one way or the other in our mind sometimes we think oh church it's it's only for me And so we come here and we say, oh, the pastor better feed me something good tonight and the worship better be really good so it can fill my heart and fill my soul. And and here's the deal. Sometimes we respond negatively to that, but listen, I don't want to respond negatively to that. I hope you come here expecting to feast on the word of God. My prayer is that every weekend you come here drained and empty and as we lift our voices to the Lord and as we open up the word of God and we pour it into our mind and into our heart, you leave here full saying, I have met the Lord. I have remembered his promises and his warnings. I leave here excited to, to do everything he's called me to do. Sometimes we think we just come here for that. I want you to come here for that. But, but listen, listen, Sometimes we think we just come here so we can go. We say, I come to church so that I can go and make an impact in the world. The the extreme of this, sometimes people say, oh, I don't really need the gathering. I just go in and I make make a difference out in the world by myself. You ever heard that? Sometimes we, we get our wires crossed and we think it's gotta be one or the other. Listen, it's meant to be both. Come and feast and then go and share and let the word of God resound out of you. Out of a labor of love because if you really love your neighbors and your co-workers and your family members and your classmates and your enemies if you really love them you you will you will have the same impact the thessalonians had on the surrounding area it's kind of like this i like to picture it like a cup as a believer you come and you you get filled not just to the top you're meant to get filled so that you are overflowing. And that overflow, it fills as many people around you as possible. Let me ask you who is thankful for your labor of love? Who, who is being impacted in, in a positive way through your labor of love? This is what discipleship is. Disciples, they make disciples. They impact other people. But look at what else you see with a disciple here. Disciples, they publicly turn from idols. This is kind of intense, but, but here's what it says, verse 9. <clears throat> For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Look, at, and how you turned from idols, or turn to God from idols. Now, we're talking about repentance here. Repentance in the Thessalonican church was not done in a corner. When we say repentance, it's, it's this picture right here of, of turning to God away from idols. And they didn't do this in the, the quiet of their room. They did it in an obvious way. They say, I used to live this way, and now I live this way. I used to be pursuing all of the wrong things, and now I'm pursuing Christ as king. What what did they turn away from? It says from idols. Idols are the idea of false gods. They they weren't living in Paul's day. They were usually carved images of wood or of stone or some precious metal. Oftentimes, there were spiritual forces connected to them, Uh, real real forces. Most likely, the idols that were worshipped were actually demonic powers of the day that presented themselves as gods. And so people, they they would bow to these things hoping that the, the power of whatever idol it was that they would bow to or they would offer sacrifice to, they would hope that these idols would produce something for them. You know what they wanted it to produce? Usually the same things we want in our lives. Things like Security. Please give me a good harvest. Things like satisfaction. They went to these idols for their joy or for their pleasure. Ultimately, they were looking to the idols to save them. You see, we, we don't have carved images these days, but today we are looking for the same exact things, aren't we? And what is it that you pursue for your satisfaction? Usually for us, it's things like a position in our work employment. For others, it's things like a a certain hobby. If I can just buy this next thing, right? This next vehicle, this next uh, weapon, this next, I don't know, TV, or or if I can just consume something pleasurable, whether it's feasting on something or or binging a, a television show or a sports game. All of, the, all of them are, end up being the same idea. We're pursuing our satisfaction or our security or even our s- salvation in whatever the world might offer. But, but the idea here is the Thessalonians, it says they turned away from these false gods. And they turned to God and it says to serve him. Disciples don't only repent Publicly, but disciples, they publicly serve God. It says they turn to the God who is living and true. And this means that God is living, He's not like a carved image, and He's true. He's not a false God or a demonic power that you think you can manipulate and is really just going to corrupt you more. He is true in the truest sense. This means that what you're really looking for in terms of security or satisfaction or salvation, it's only found in one place, the living and true God. I mean, just secretly, just you, what are those idols that pop up in your mind today? picture it right now. Let's just use a, a safe example. Let's imagine a vehicle. You realize, I just got to get this new car. You realize that will never provide you with what God in Christ can provide you. That's where your true hope and your true satisfaction is. It calls God the living and true God. But, but I, want you to, I want you to marvel with me for just a moment longer. And how this text, all of it together, actually described God. Because it also shows that God isn't just living and true. This text, these 10 verses, shows that God is what we call triune. And the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about how there's one God and only one God. Yet that one God exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I know this is sometimes a complicated idea, but just... just do a cursory look at these 10 verses with me. Verse one talks about God the Father and God the Son. Verse two talks about God the Father. Verse three talks about God the Father and God the Son. Verse four speaks of God the Father. Verse five talks about the Holy Spirit. Verse six talks about the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse seven, or I mean, verse eight talks about the Father, as does verse nine. And verse 10 we're going to see in a moment, talks about the Father and the Son. I mean, you can can skim over this and you can miss it completely, but I want you to see how jam-packed this text is with the glory of the triune God shining through in front of your very eyes. This is just putting God on display. Come and behold the God who is living and true and triune. It's right there in front of your very eyes. And so these Thessalonian believers... They had a work of faith. And then they had a labor of love as they lived to to proclaim the gospel to all their neighbors and also to serve in love, to serve the triune God. Who's thankful for your for your labor of love? Who is thankful for the way the triune God is displayed through your life? But, But let's look at one more response. Paul says, I'm thankful for your work of faith. I'm thankful for your labor of love. And then he says, finally, he says, I'm thankful for your steadfastness in hope. Who is thankful for your steadfast hope? Hope is the idea that we're, we're looking to something beyond us. We're looking to the future and we have a confident expectation that God is going to come, he's gonna to show to his promises to be true. This is the idea of a steadfast hope. Verse 10, it, says, it continues. It says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is, this is a, a steadfastness of hope. This is a, a steadfast holding on to truths and to promises. There's at least three here that I want you to consider just for a moment. Do, do you hold steadfast to Jesus' return? Do you hold steadfast to Jesus' return? Verse 10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven... You, you know, Jesus is coming again, right? Je- Jesus came once. He came the first time, and he laid down his life as a substitution to pay the price for all of our sins. But, but guess what? He's coming back. He's coming back. We don't know when. In fact, I believe he can come back right now. He can come back today. He can come back in the middle of the night. He can come out at any moment. And this is not supposed to be an idea that causes you fear, like your knees start shaking, like, oh oh no, Jesus is coming back. What am I going to do? According to this passage, this is part of the steadfast hope. When we say Jesus is coming back, you say, Maranatha, come Lord, come quickly, come soon. Like we are waiting and longing and begging for the return of Christ. It's not a hard thing to do as we look at our world disintegrate around us. As we look at the pain and the suffering, as we look at rioting and hate and anger, we say, Lord, we, we can't fix this. We, we need you to. He, he is going to come again. And this is the basis of our hope. So we hold steadfast to his return. Second, we hold steadfast to his resurrection. It says we wait for him to come again. But then it says, whom he raised from the dead. You notice what Paul does here? He, he roots our future hope in the, the finished resurrection event. He says we have hope for the future because in the past Christ was raised. <clears throat> Do you hold steadfast to the resurrection of Christ? Did you cling to the, the, the fact that Jesus, he didn't just die for your sins, but he died and then he proved that he is the Messiah by physically being resurrected from the grave and witnessed by hundreds of people? Did you cling to that? Do you hold steadfast to, to this hope? And third, do you hold steadfast to Jesus' rescue? It says that he is going to deliver us from the wrath to come. If you're using your own Bible, I want you to circle that word, us. He's not saying he's going to deliver some other people. Or or he's going to save those who have yet to believe, and they're going to believe one day. We we have hope for that, but, but Paul here, he's talking about himself. The other missionaries, and he's talking about the church in Thessalonica. He says, Jesus is going to come and he is going to deliver us. He's going to rescue us from what? From antifa. (laughs) He's going to deliver us from what? From poverty? He's going to deliver us from what? From cancer? He's going to deliver us from what? From my back aching? No, he's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. Whose wrath? This is talking about the wrath of God the Father. This is talking about the righteous and just wrath of God that is going to be poured out against all unrepentant sinners. Here's the deal. Every person will experience the wrath of God in one of two ways. You will either experience it by trusting Christ in his death and resurrection on the cross when God's wrath was poured out upon him instead of you, or you will experience it in the final judgment. This is our steadfastness of hope. This is what, this what, is what honestly, let's, let's be real for a moment. This is what allows you, even if you're feeling down or depressed or anxious or overwhelmed, this is what allows you to get up every day, put your pants on, put your shoes on, and go and live faithfully for the name of Christ because you will be delivered from the wrath to come. When you do this, People notice. When you do this, people, I'll tell you what, they will become thankful. Let me ask you, who is thankful for your steadfast hope in Christ? You see, this, this kind of life, it produces tremendous thankfulness. A life on track produces tremendous thankfulness. I mean, this, this idea of the wrath to come, this reminds me of when I got to the very summit of Mount St. Helens. I got up there, one guy beat me, two people were behind me. The one guy that beat me, he was a little bit further off. And I got up and, you know, like a, a, a fool, because I didn't know what I was doing, I got up and I said, oh, I'm going to walk to the very edge of this crater. And I hear the voices behind me, Mike, stop, stop, stop. And I'm like, why? I said, just stop. Okay. I don't know if you know this. You get to the edge of that crater and the rock ends and then you have ice and snow that go out for sometimes three or four feet and people go to the very edge and that ice and snow give way and they go to their death. And I was this close to walking onto it (laughs) because I didn't know. And they explained it to me and I said I said well, thank you. It produced tremendous thankfulness not just for me but for my wife. It produced tremendous thankfulness Be- because they 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 kept me from not God's wrath but from from certainly a judgment for my folly. See, this is what we're talking about today. This tremendous thankfulness. Let me ask you these questions again. Who is thankful for your work of faith? Who do you have around your life that just says, man, I'm so thankful for the way they live for Christ? Who who is thankful for your labor of love in the gospel? Who hears the gospel? Who sees the change because of Christ in you? And who is thankful for your steadfastness of hope? Who is thankful that your life is on track? Now, maybe you hear these words tonight and you say, man, I've got some people that are thankful. That, that's awesome. But, but maybe, maybe tonight's a night to get, where you're called to get back on track. Maybe tonight you realize that you're wandering off. Maybe you have been for some time. And if you're honest, it's affecting your family, It's it's affecting your coworkers. It's affecting your neighbor and your classmates. The the people around you, they're being impacted in a negative way simply because you're not on track. Tonight is a call. It's a call for you as an individual to live a life that produces tremendous thankfulness in the lives of those around you because you are living a life on track. Now, now just imagine with me for a minute longer. What if Valley... What if everyone who calls Valley their church home, what if we had a dogged decision tonight, every one of us to get on track, to live a life that that clearly proclaims and portrays the gospel, to live a life so that others around us know the love of Christ. What if all of us did that together? What might God do? What might he do? Let me ask it a different way. How many people in this community and in the world would have tremendous thankfulness? Heavenly Father, thank you that this this work of faith does not begin with us. God, we confess there's not one of us that is adequate to do what you've called us to do on our own. There's not one of us who can save ourselves There's not one of us that can save anyone else. We cannot fix anyone's soul, but through your son, Jesus, and his death and resurrection, Lord, now we get to be a a hospital. We get to be a community. We get to be a church where the weary souls of the world can come and they can find find people who have lives that display a work of faith and a labor of love and a steadfastness of hope. They can come and they can see lives of people who aren't perfect, but they're simply living lives on track. And by living for your glory and your purposes, we can see this world changed. Father, that's our prayer tonight. Father, tonight we confess our sin, we confess our selfishness. Lord, we can be greedy and angry and hateful and lustful, and yet tonight we turn away from those false gods and we turn our eyes to you, the living and true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God, as we turn toward you, we pray that you would draw us close and you would give us courage to live the life you've called us to, whatever it might look like, And we pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Crucified, buried, and risen for us so that we can walk in newness of life. I, my prayer tonight is that you, you leave this place with such hope and such joy in the gospel that it causes that overflow into other people's lives. That's really the goal. And I, I'm excited about our series. We're gonna pick up in chapter two next week. I won't preach the whole chapter next week, so uh, don't worry about that. Um, but I do wanna say, before we close tonight, uh, I just wanna point out on your tables or in your programs, there is one of these cards right here. And this is simply an invitation card. This is a tool for kind of that overflow. What I want to encourage you to do is to take one of these home with you. Put it in your your pocket or or whatever you might uh, keep it handy. And the goal is to make it really easy for you to invite someone to come and experience a worship service here at Valley. Something as simple as, hey, would love to have you join me on a Saturday night. Here's the information. Um, I've been able to give these away to people i've met just randomly as well as to neighbors and friends and, and teammates and things like that that i'm closer to and so this is a tool our goal is at Valley that every person invites someone else once a month so, so i want you to take this i want you to pray over it. god give me an opportunity this month to invite someone right you can't control if they come you can't control if someone trusts the gospel but but you can't control the effort you put into the invitation sound good Alright, we're going to pray, and, uh, and there's an opportunity to give. If you want to give in person, the buckets are in the front. Uh, thank you for those who give online as well, and, and for all of those who continually support the ministry and the mission here at Valley as we, we preach Christ and we proclaim, proclaim Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy that we got to celebrate tonight, knowing you, and remembering together what it looks like to have a life on track God, I pray that you would encourage us in profound ways as we leave this place to live our lives of faith as lives on track. And God, I pray that it would, it would bless those around us, that there would be many who would say, I, I give thanks to God always because of the lives of those in this room and listening online. God, I pray for these invitation cards. Lord, I pray you would give us opportunity, even this week maybe, to invite someone to come and and to experience the love of this community and ultimately hear about the love of Christ through his death and resurrection. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.